0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, August 4th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Taminetti. I'm flying solo tonight, not because Grace wasn't able to do the show. In fact, she was. Uh, We actually started to do the show. We got online to start recording. But I've had internet issues all day. In fact, my internet has been down for, at this point, close to 24 hours. And I've had to cancel my service after talking to five people and going to two stores and had to sign up for a completely different internet service. So whenever we tried to talk to each other it didn't work. So I'm hoping that I'm able to do this episode and to get it uploaded. It might take an hour just to upload because I have to hotspot my computer to my phone so fingers crossed it actually worked. We were waiting to do the show until we got the reviews for Back to the Future, the musical. We will have those for you here in a second. But before we get into all of that, we want to remind you that you can head over to patreon.com slash BroadwayRadio, BroadwayRadio.com Patreon if you want to support us. And who knows, maybe build a new internet tower close to my house because I tried a 5g home internet thing and that did not work uh that was an absolute travis share mockery so um nonetheless you can hear all of our episodes before you can hear them anywhere else there and we will have much more to talk about on the patreon front as we get further into august so stay tuned for that all right, with all that out of the way, I guess it is my journalistic duty to dive into the reviews for Back to the Future, the musical. As we talked about, the show officially had its like opening night gala last week, but last night, Thursday night, was its official opening in terms of Broadway calendar designation. The show is currently playing at the Winter Garden Theater, having already made a run in London's West End. The show features a book by Bob Gale with music by Alan Silvestri and Glenn Ballard, who also wrote the lyrics. It is directed by John Rando and choreographed by Chris Bailey. The opening night cast is led by Tony winner Roger Bart, who plays Doc Brown. Casey Likes plays Marty McFly. Hugh Coles, who originated the role of George McFly in the West and was Olivier nominated for it, returns to the part on Broadway. Nathaniel Hackman plays Biff Tannen. Leanna Hunt plays Lorraine Baines. Jelani Remy plays a number of roles, Goldie Wilson and Marvin Berry. And Amber Artolino plays Linda McFly. Now, these reviews were embargoed for 10 p.m. on Thursday night. And while that is very annoying, which means that I am already up way past my bedtime, it's probably a pretty shrewd move by Back to the Future's press team because there are some really bad reviews, but there are some fairly good ones as well, although they all have a certain amount of caveats. I don't know that I need to tell you what the plot of Back to the Future is, but I will anyway. When Marty McFly finds himself transported back to 1955 in a time machine built by the eccentric scientist, Doc Brown, he accidentally changes the course of history. Now he's in a race against time to fix the present, escape the past, and send himself, you got it, Back to the Future. As of recording time, review aggregator site Did Like it has recorded 16 reviews, four are positive, five are mixed and seven are negative. We'll start off with the New York Times review written by Jesse Green who was negative, unsurprisingly. He wrote, quote, "Like most pop science fiction, Back to the Future resists and barely benefits from deepening. Its plot is necessarily complex and its characters compensatorily flat. Instead of, preferably for a musical, other way around. The movie's two hours were barely enough to tell the story. To tell it in about two and a half while leaving room for those 17 new songs, everything else has been cut to the bone, with no room for subtlety, let alone expressivity. Why then bother with the songs in the first place? Making material shallower, even if cleverly, is not a great argument for adaptation. It can be defended if some other value is countervailing. For me, the show's stagecraft and general high spirits come closest to providing that value. But they are too often undone by 1955-ish ideas of Broadway style, cartwheeling cheerleaders, backflipping jocks, and 1985-ish plot points held over from the movie. The Libyans may be gone, which is something he discusses from the movie that's been gotten rid of earlier in the review but the story still valorizes a peeping Tom and suggests that a white boy introduced Johnny B. Good three years before a black man actually wrote it. That's what we all call a caucasual paradox. He's making a pun based off something he wrote earlier, which doesn't necessarily work, but I kind of get. Next up, Brittany Samuel writing for Broadway News was positive saying, quote, Those already familiar with the story should readily submit to seeing it on stage. Those who aren't will not struggle to follow along the toddler next to me got on just fine. Nostalgic 80s charm mingled with 2023 theatrical capability is a winning combination. Just to get a wide array of everything on the spectrum, Greg Evans writing for Deadline was mixed saying, quote, Still, nothing on stage here measures up to the screen version, except the obvious, the live special effects, most notably a final sequence in which 1955 Doc climbs to the top of that clock tower during a lightning storm with Marty speeding the DeLorean through town. That does seem to be the consensus here, is that the stagecraft in the mix of practical and special effects really is the thing that works the best in the show. Let's get a few more reviews. I'm going to go to Adam Feldman, which man, I, I've got to tell you, I've been doing this for quite a long time. And I don't know that I've ever seen Adam Feldman give a review in Time Out New York. That was zero stars. Now, I will completely say there are no stars listed on the site at all, which I've never seen either. So maybe there is another explanation. But as of now, there are no stars for this musical and his review reads that way. He said, quote, attending Back to the Future the musical is a bit like watching a car crash in slow motion, except for the part about not being able to look away. Frank Rizzo writing for Variety said, quote, all that dazzle might satisfy film fans looking to relive signature moments, but for others seeking reimaginings more than repeats, Back to the Future will seem more fitting for a theme park than Broadway. Frank Sheck, writing for The Hollywood Reporter, was positive, saying it's a terrifically fun and amusing story that works nearly as well on stage as it did on film, although the original songs, as is often the case with these adaptations, mainly come across as superfluous. Charles Isherwood, writing for The Wall Street Journal, was negative, saying, quote, The musical as a whole never achieves liftoff, or even the stage equivalent of 88 miles an hour. It cruises along in a low gear for almost three hours. Let's end on a positive one. Jillian Russo writing for New York Theater Guide was positive, speaking of some of the themes she talked about throughout a review, saying, quote, the musical adaptation now on Broadway with 1.21 gigawatts of spectacle honors all of these views at once and gives back to the future the larger than life presentation it deserves. I'm seeing the show next week. I'm interested to see what I think of it. I'm going with our friend Robbie Rizal. These type of things are usually not the types of shows that I, that I like. But I'm certainly open to it, especially with all of the technological and theatrical tricks that it has up its sleeve. If you would like to read more of these or any of the other reviews, we will have the roundups from both Did They Like It and Broadway World in the show notes. All right, getting into the news, if you listened to our Thursday episode, you know Grace and I speculated that we would be getting an announcement about where and when The Notebook musical will be coming to Broadway very soon. And we didn't have to wait very long. Each musical adaptation of the Nicholas Sparks novel The Notebook and the subsequent films starring Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams will arrive on Broadway this spring. The show will play the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater beginning performances on October 6th with an opening night of March 14th. As we discussed yesterday, singer-songwriter Ingrid Michaelson will be making her Broadway writing debut, having appeared in The Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway. And the book writer for the show is playwright and TV writer Becca Brunstetter. The show also released information about the creative team. David Zinn and Brett J. Bannicus will be the scenic designers. Costume design will be by Paloma Young. Lighting design by Ben Stanton. Sound design by Nevin Steinberg. And hair and wig design by Mia Neal. The production's music supervisor will be Carmel Dean, who worked with Michelson on arrangements and then with John Clancy on orchestrations. The music director will be Jeffrey Ko. Obviously, at this point, no casting has been announced, but like we talked about on yesterday's show, I would be very surprised if Joy Woods was not a part of this as she was with the Out of Town tryout in Chicago. By my calculations, there are six Broadway houses that do not have an announced occupant for either the fall or the spring. They are the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater, which will be vacant as of this weekend when parade closes. Then there is the Imperial, which I believe is the largest of the houses that does not yet have a tenant. Then we have the Longacre and the Lyceum, which are kind of those mid-level theaters that could go either play or musical. Then we have Studio 54, which I guess Roundabout could either rent out or put something in. And then the Vivian Beaumont Theater, which of course is Lincoln Center. So while Studio 54 could go either way, either in terms of commercial runs or not for profit, in terms of the straight commercial houses, it's the Jacobs, which is a Schubert, the Imperial, which is a Schubert, The Longacre, which is a Schubert, and the Lyceum, which is a Schubert. So those are the places that are currently available for both fall and spring. There are obviously some shows that will be limited runs in the fall and then will open again in the spring. And some shows, of course, will close as well. But lots of things that still could come in and occupy these houses at some point in the next six, seven, eight months. All right, let's move on to another very, very interesting story that broke on Thursday, and that comes from the New York Post. And it says that, according to sources, Lin-Manuel Miranda is hard at work on a new stage musical. This one is based on Sol Yurik's 1965 novel The Warriors, which was then turned into a film in 1979. It is about violent gang battles in New York City during the 1960s. The film adaptation is far more stylized than the the book would lead you to believe in. The original author, Yurik, really did not like the film because he wrote the book because he wanted it to be much more true to life to what gangs in New York City actually were than what was depicted in, in West Side Story which had opened on Broadway just eight years before the book was released, and that was obviously a much more glossy, sanitized version of, of of what gang life was in New York City during the middle part of the 20th century. The Post did not have any other information about it, either in terms of how far along line is, what a timeline is for a production, whether it's going to be sung through or whether it'll be a book musical, if it's going to have a run at the public theater before coming to Broadway, but... There is no doubt that a new Lin-Manuel Miranda musical will be highly, highly anticipated, not only by fans like us, but also pretty much everybody in the industry. If they can get involved in this in one way or another, obviously they will do that at all costs. It is interesting because this sounds, especially if he is hewing closer to the novel than the 1979 film, like, it'll be probably the the most serious and, and darkest musical that Lin has written for Broadway. Obviously, Hamilton has a ton of that as well. But there are many, many comedic moments in Hamilton. When you put that alongside Bring It On and In the Heights, and then, of course, New York, New York, which he contributed new material to, um, those all have at least some level of comedy in them. I'm not sure, depending on where Lin focuses the narrative of, the, of this show, how much that will be in this, but it is certainly something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Lynn knows how to pull a story and make an interesting musical out of just about anything. All right, let's get into some show and casting news here. Yesterday, Second Stage announced three of the five cast members for the upcoming premiere of Jen Silverman's play, Spain, which will be directed by Tyne Raffaelli. The show will begin performances on November 8th for a limited run at the Tony Kaiser Theater. The three actors who have officially joined the show are the great Marin Ireland, Zachary James, and Eric Lochtefeld. Again, two additional roles will be announced in the coming weeks. Now we're going to go from New York out to Los Angeles, or at least the Los Angeles area, because yesterday the cast for the upcoming Los Angeles premiere of Adam Rapp's The Sound Inside was officially announced by the Pasadena Playhouse, just four minutes from our friend Jennifer McHugh. The show is going to run September 6th through October 1st. Cameron Watson is directing... And the absolute icon, Amy Brenneman, will be playing Bella, while Anders Keith will be playing Christopher. I have to say, I think Amy Brenneman is so criminally underrated as an actor. Of course, everyone knows her from uh, judging Amy and from private practice, but the work she's done in the last eight years or so, um, starting with the leftovers where she was just incredible. Then she did make a, a, a special guest appearance on Jane, the Virgin once, but then she was in shining girls playing Elizabeth Moss's mother and then she was just absolutely phenomenal in the first season of The Old Man Playing Opposite Jeff Bridges. I think Jennifer McHugh and I talked about it on an episode of, of Some Like a Pop, but Amy Brenneman is just tremendous, and to be able to see her in this role in such an incredible, credible play is certainly something that I hope Jen gets to see, but if you're out on the left coast, you should make a trip as well. While you're at it, there's another show that you might want to see out there in California, although not necessarily in the, uh, in the Los Angeles area. But yesterday, the Berkeley Rep announced the cast and creative team for its run of POTUS, or behind every great American dumbass, are seven women trying to keep him alive. The show will feature Kim Blank who will play Jean, his press secretary. That is the role played by Susie Nakamura on Broadway. Allison Gwynn will play Bernadette, his sister, the role played by Leia Delaria on Broadway. Stephanie Pope-Lofgren will play Margaret, his his wife, the first lady, played by Vanessa Williams on Broadway. Deidre Lovejoy will play Harriet, his chief of staff, the role played on Broadway by Tony winner Julie White. Susan Linsky will play Stephanie, his secretary, the role that absolutely slayed as played by Rachel Dratch on The Great White Way. Then Stephanie Stiles of Kiss Me Kate on Broadway and the Newsies Tour will play Dusty, his, his dalliance, so to speak. That was played by Julianne Huff on Broadway. And then uh, Dominique Ariel-Tony will play Chris, a journalist who was played by Lily Cooper on Broadway. Annie Tippy will direct this. It is set to run from September 16th through October 22nd at Berkeley Rep. All right, I'll right, we'll wrap it up with a recommendation that is not from me. This is actually from Grace. Grace wanted to talk about this, so unfortunately, she's not here to explain it because I, I honestly don't know a ton about this. But tonight at 54 Below will be 54 Sings Lawrence, featuring Ben Fankhauser, Ben Kaplan, Jerusha Cavazos, Drew Gasparini, and others. Vaibu Mohan, who... Uh, I believe Grace did an interview with uh, on uh, a special episode a few weeks or months ago uh, is one of the producers of this. I don't know who Lawrence is, but apparently they are a music act that has become very, very popular. Gracie and Clyde Lawrence that are known for their incredible energy a bunch of memorable songs and they do these really really creative covers lawrence will not be at 54 below but all of these incredible broadway talents will be doing their material so if you have nothing to do tonight the show is at 9 30 at 54 below tickets start at as little as 15 dollars. so even though there is a 25 dollar food and beverage minimum you can get in and out at a very very reasonable price of course we will have information on how you can purchase tickets to see 54 sings lawrence in the show notes. All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, anywhere else. Just check BWW, Matt, and maybe I'll pop up there. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Friday, a wonderful weekend. We'll be back to talk to you on Monday. Hopefully, this episode actually uploads.